The word death no longer exists for me in the sense of an end. For me, it is ultimately only a going ahead to the homeland. Ms. Fink-Eisinger, you have been working as a personality trainer for about 30 years. Your motto includes strong shell, strong core. But in 2017, there was a drastic event that changed a great deal in your life. Your daughter Tamina died at that time as a result of a riding accident. For you, this was the beginning of a new path in life that changed very, very much, which I would like to talk to you about. But first, I would like to ask you to tell what happened back then, in April 2017. Yes, you said that right. Something unexpected happened with the younger of our two daughters. Tamina was born in 1998. She was 18 and a half years old at the time, and my other daughter said, Tamina is having a perfect wave right now. Everything was just beautiful, wonderful. She started training in her dream job. She wanted to be a horse manager and had her own horse. She chose a wonderful stable where she could do the training. She got a little car. I mean, it was all so easy. She said, It can't go on like this. She said that phrase a lot. On April 15th, on a good Friday, we had contact again. That's when she said, Mama, I really need some mommy time right now. She worked a lot, it's a demanding job, and I said to her, Why don't you come home tonight? You don't have to work a few hours tomorrow either. Why don't you come home today? She thought about it for a moment and said, I'd rather not. I said yes and I don't want to let the others down now. It's only a few hours anyway, but then I'll go straight home. Early in the morning on April 15th, my husband went out and bought everything she liked for dinner. It was always nice to know she was coming for a few days. She livened up the house a lot with her cheerful nature. On Saturday at half past nine, I got a phone call. Sylvia, Tamina has fallen off her horse and the emergency doctor is there. She's been flown by helicopter to Augsburg. I then immediately called my husband and we drove to Augsburg, which is about two hours from home. Then, when we arrived at the hospital, I got pretty belligerent because I just wanted to get to Tamina right away. But they wouldn't let me. Then I calmed down and they let me see her in the emergency room. She was lying there with her eyes closed, but she wasn't hurt, looked like she always did. And then I said the classic phrase, 
Tamina, mommy's here. Everything's going to be okay. I think any mom can understand that. The doctor then told me that she just needed to calm down and that it wasn't that bad. We're going to put her in an induced coma now to relieve the pressure in her head. At that point, you really still had hope? Yes, definitely. The doctor said it wasn't that bad. Then we waited until we could get to the ward. That took a couple of hours, and then we could go to Tamina's room. It was not a small thing. Tamina was in a coma for five days. And on the fifth day, they told us that the values were stable and that they wanted to wake her up soon. But it was not possible to estimate how she would feel then and what would be in store for us. These five days were full of hope. On April 19th, this machine she was hooked up to was beeping very restlessly all the time. And the nurse said they had to reset the machine. I don't remember exactly what it was. I then took the liberty of singing a nursery rhyme that both kids liked. During this time, all the machines were quiet, rather quiet. Steady. Steady, yes. And when I was done, Stefan said, Sylvia, your singing still hasn't gotten more beautiful. But Tamina must have liked it. She seems to have calmed down now. I was done. Stefan said, I have the feeling Tamina is fighting. I said, what makes you think that? He, it feels that way. Somehow he had a feeling like that. Then I started crying and said, Tamina, you don't have to fight on my account. I related that remark to me. You don't have to fight because of me. Then the nurse came in and said, if you want to have a coffee, we need to adjust something a little bit. We said, yeah, we'll use the time and go get coffee, and went to the cafeteria. The nurse had said we could come back soon. After half an hour, I became restless. During this time in the cafeteria, I heard the song Beyond the Horizon It Goes On, twice. I said, now the song is coming on again. It is unusual for a radio station to play the same song twice so quickly. I registered it, but didn't put any meaning to it further. Why should I have done that? But you noticed it. I noticed it, yes. Then we walked back, and that's when they said, wait for a moment. We then went into a separate room. The doctor came relatively quickly and told us that the resuscitation was not successful. Tamina was dead. And that was, of course, unbelievable. She died. We had great hope. I would like to add, during these five days when she was in a coma, I talked to Tamina normally. 
Once we wanted to leave home to visit her, outside the front door I said to my husband, Hey, wait a minute, I'll go back and put on some mascara. My husband said, Sylvia, that's really not necessary now. We really have better things to do now. I replied, I don't feel like doing my makeup either, but Tamina said, Mom, make yourself a little pretty. I think it would be nice if you put on a little makeup on your eyelashes. So I did that. I don't think it lasted long then because tears flowed. But for me, my behavior was quite normal. I also spoke openly about it. Tamina said that. I myself didn't find it strange at all. For me, it was normal. I heard it. I was aware of Tamina's request. The fact that I then said the sentence, you don't have to fight because of me, that was a great burden on me in the whole situation. I felt guilty because of the sentence, you don't have to fight because of me. But all in all, it was a situation that came as a shock to you and your husband. How did you deal with it? I deliberately don't want to dive too deeply into this memory again now. I think I also lack the words to name what this announcement and the implications meant with the loss of our Tamina. I can't describe it. But to learn of her death so suddenly and to be unprepared when we had those days in the hospital, it was too much for the whole family. I had a dream that I would like to tell because it has a very strong meaning for me. On the third day when she was in a coma, I dreamt that I was driving the car and Tamina was sitting next to me. Tamina was sitting next to me very relaxed, very easy. There was also a person sitting in the back, that's how I felt, but I didn't see this person. I was driving like this and suddenly the road ended and it went vertically downhill. I bent over and I see this steep road. I look over and I say, Tamina, my God, it's steep. And she's like, Mom, can you do this? Just this question. Mom, can you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. Then all I know is that I got to the bottom and I said, yes. That was the end of the dream. This dream was always very much present to me, without my consciously calling it up. It came up in me again and again. For me, it is not a belief, but for me it is a certainty that Tamina asked me. And I think she also made her further path a bit dependent on me whether I would make it or not. My husband too was perhaps dependent on the strength I then also got to make it. You were prepared to a certain extent through dreams and also through the inner contact with your daughter, which was, as it were, a matter of course. What was your worldview at the time? Were you a religious, spiritually oriented person? I myself had no religion. I also rejected the institution of the church that was communicated quite openly at home. 
Whether I was spiritual, I believe that every person has a spirituality in some form. How pronounced it is, is another matter. The word God has no meaning for me. For me, there was a natural connection to the spiritual, but I didn't live with it intensively. Inner voice is perhaps also a good word for it. I have always vehemently rejected the subject of death, and I did not accept clients who had to deal with loss because I simply did not experience such a thing myself. My parents and grandparents were allowed to go when they were 80. Their deaths were simply part of the cycle of life for me. I didn't want to deal with the thought that it might happen to me or to my children. I simply blocked out such thoughts. I also didn't concern myself with whether there was an afterlife. Today I would say I was also a bit haughty or arrogant because my life was just always so good that I thought, I have so much to do with the today, why should I think about the after? I didn't even get to think about it when Tamina preceded me. I heard her so naturally from the beginning, and she was always there for me in some way. Nevertheless, I suffered a lot. And although she was always there in the early days, I never asked the question, how are you there? I couldn't do that at the time. I had to get back on my feet before I was even capable of wanting to learn more. The fact that you heard your daughter, this feeling of presence, is part of what today is called an after-death contact. How did these contacts then develop further? On the second day after Tamina died, my whole family was on the move and everyone was looking for their own corner. But I received a very clear message at that time. It was one message out of many, but there was this one really important one. I doubted for a very long time whether I was really hearing and receiving all this or whether it was just a fantasy of mine or a wishful thought. I spent many months with these doubts. It weighed on me in addition to the suffering. But there was this one phrase that Tamina said so early on, Mom, I've done my part of the job now, and now you're going to do your part of the job. That was cruel. It was cruel for me to hear that. When I heard that, I screamed. What am I hearing? As a mother, I don't want to say, my child has gone ahead so that now I can fulfill my part of the task. That seemed so unnatural to me. I would much rather have said to Tamina, come on, you continue to fulfill your task here. I didn't want her to leave so that I could still be there to fulfill my part. I think every mother can understand me. 
Did that seem like a goodbye to you once again? No, it was this awareness that I still have something to do. But Tamina is part of the task that I still have to fulfill, yes. And now she's gone. It was just cruel for me. I can't describe it in any other way to hear that. I asked her, why did you leave? You had such a beautiful life. In the end, even after the autopsy, her death couldn't really be explained. You couldn't really say, aha, okay, that was the reason. That is, you could never reconstruct exactly what actually happened. There was no clear answer to this question, so the doctor gave us the news at that time. He himself was stunned. And Tamina said to me, Mom, listen, I was allowed and I could decide. Not many people can or are allowed to do that. But hearing that didn't make it any easier for me either. And I asked, why did you decide to leave when everything was so nice here? And she said, because I saw something more beautiful. It didn't change my sadness, because Tamina's answer was not understandable to me at all. I just heard what she said. I heard the words, but I could not accept the meaning. Because what could be more beautiful for Tamina than to be with us? But exactly these words I remembered later again and again. Also, my husband said, please remember these sentences. Because a mother could not come up with these sentences by herself, not at all. You can't make up something like that. I think it's totally unnatural to say something like that. It took me almost two years to accept Tamina's words. Those were two very painful years. At some point, I also realized that this suffering was hurting me a lot. I wanted to find out what the difference was between suffering and grief. Today, there is a difference for me. Suffering is destructive to me because I get caught up in it. Tamina said something about this later. We started going on pilgrimage very early. I couldn't be indoors anymore. I just wanted to be out in nature. So we walked many, many miles. We stopped working. And there one night, we were walking in the Schwarzwald. She said to me, you know, Mom, you're not grieving for me. You're just grieving for your ego. And I remember saying, now stop. This is too much. In which life situations did these contacts occur? Were you in a special meditation or in a special state of rest? Or did these contacts develop out of the blue, so to speak? Yes, the latter. When I meditated or tried to meditate, I could never hear anything. I was too restless inside, making many requests and asking many questions. I always wanted answers to understand the big picture, even though I had received answers from Tamina. But they were not sufficient for me, and I just couldn't accept them. 
I heard Tamina's voice when I was distracted, cooking, walking, ironing. It always came out of the blue. Then when I started begging in the sense of, please, I need a miracle now, I wanted to rush from one miracle to another, I'd hear, no. You always want the next one before you've used for yourself what you've already gotten. When I consciously pushed to hear or experience something, I usually didn't get it. Tamina also once said a line, If you don't demand to be with me, you'll even be able to see me in a puddle. Since then, I still look at puddles with some excitement. I'm not done with the whole process yet. I can't do this yet, just trust absolutely. I've come a long way, but I keep catching myself wanting more. Maybe today it'll succeed. This hearing of a special inner voice, was this something that was familiar to you? Did you also hear voices before this event? No, as I said before, for me it is normal that the inner voice, intuition and instinct are inherently within a person. Having inner dialogues is not alien to me. But it was never something I consciously strived for. I often told the kids when they asked a question, what does your gut tell you? I think a lot of people know the inner voice of their gut feeling, but I didn't aspire to hear anything. This voice that I heard, which I still hear today, but nowhere near as intensely as I did in the first four years, is less resonant. Although it is still clearly audible, it's difficult to describe, so I hear it quite clearly. Definitely as your daughter's voice. Yes, although today I see it not really as the voice of our Tamina. I have become aware of a truth. A higher being exists. The voice has also said this to me again and again. I am existent. I am existent. It said it very vehemently, again and again I heard it. I am existent. I see it today like this. The higher being is always there. But as a human being here, I am ultimately only a kind of illusion that has been created for a time to follow a game plan. That is what I have been told. And that plan can be cruel at times. In the past, I always consciously addressed the voice I heard as Tamina. That has only changed now since I wrote the book. Because now I can say for myself, it is a higher self. I once asked Tamina, as I used to call her, how it could be that we communicated with each other. Because I also asked others in my family, do you hear her? I also asked my friends, and they all answered me, no. Sometimes I've heard the statement that someone feels like they can sense her for a moment. I have heard that more than once, but I have not experienced that sensing myself. 
The answer to my question about why we can communicate was, because my higher being is on the same frequency as your higher being, this makes a connection possible. I must confess, however, that this explanation didn't really help me at that time, because I was too far away from understanding these connections. Today it has become quite natural for me. But your perceptions were so intense and clear that you remembered it at all and can interpret it differently today. Yes, I also wrote down a lot of what I heard. And if I didn't want to write it down myself, my husband told me to. From the very beginning, I also had a lot of scratch paper or pads with me on the many hikes and tried to write down a lot, many sentences that I heard, including this, I am existent, that had a great impact on me. Another sentence that gave me a lot of strength was, Mama, detach yourself from my human form, I am. And then when I ask, yes, where are you? The answer I get is always, everywhere. I hear it, perceive it. Today I understand it, always and everywhere. But at that time, those statements didn't help me. We were in Vorarlberg on a hike, and there I asked her again for a touch. I asked, can you touch me somehow, is that possible? I sat down on the meadow and was completely in this thought, I want to experience a miracle. My husband was reading in a newspaper during this, and then suddenly in front of me, I closed my eyes and now opened them because I felt something on my nose. My husband had already got up because he was afraid. In front of me was a dog that had its nose to my nose. Then we just heard a whistle and the dog ran away. My husband looks at me and says, What was that? And I was crying with joy. I mean, you can interpret that any way you want, of course. But when you've wanted so much to be touched, and just then you experience something like that... That is also something very typical for after-death contacts, these so-called coincidences. Yes, but for me there is no such thing as a coincidence, and therefore no such thing as a random accident. That does not exist for me. I am completely aware of that today. My existence is not about whether I now eat spaghetti or lasagna in the evening. That is not the issue. But the fundamental events are all predetermined for me by my own higher being. You mentioned a book that you wrote. It's called Mama, Let's Conquer the World. How did it come about? The title alone always makes me smile. Mama, let's conquer the world. That's also a phrase I heard on a hike. And I remember saying, great, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that under these conditions? You there, me here? At that time I still felt separate from her. But actually there is no separation. It was one day in April and I heard these words beforehand in the night. It's time to write a book. The next morning, I told this to my husband and added, that wasn't a prompt tonight, it was more like a command. And my husband replied, yes, then write. And I said, 
You want me to write about Artamina? Yes, he said, that's good. Then I said, that's not good at all. I have no idea in what form I should write. Should I write a guidebook? Where do I start? I have no idea. I also didn't want to write because I was afraid of falling back into those emotional moments. I wanted to avoid that. But on April 16th, I did start writing the book, in the morning, very reluctantly. I opened my laptop, wrote two sentences, closed it again, and looked up and said, So, are you happy now? I've started. Then I got up and went to make myself a coffee. And already I heard, write the book. And I said, I've started, what do you want from me? Then I went back, opened the laptop again and said, then you have to help me. Funnily enough, I always talked about you guys in the plural. That's when I realized, why plural? And then it was, hello? I said, yes, hello? No, Sylvia, you have to write hello. So I wrote hello and heard that hello two more times, just with a different emphasis. That's exactly how I wrote it. And then I got to do nothing but write this book for almost four weeks. I didn't know how many chapters, I didn't know anything. It turned out to be 26 chapters of a, for me, very fascinating story. I was allowed to go on a journey for knowledge and experience. And every chapter I finished, I read to my husband when he came home at night. I could hardly wait. My husband is very rational, he's a technician, and he was very touched every time. He said, Sylvia, this is incredible. Then I said, yes, I think so too, but all this is not from me. I don't want to adorn myself with other people's feathers, because I don't know myself what is the next sentence I may write. The content of the book was given to me as a gift, and I was allowed to incorporate quite a few messages that I had heard up to now into the story. So it's become a story, not an autobiography. Yes, a story with many biographical moments and excerpts. I marked the sentences that I heard these last four years in bold to make it clear. These statements have supported me very strongly over the last four years. In summary, what are the most important thoughts, the most important messages that you want to convey with your book? For one thing, I think the book is really only useful for people who are willing to allow a broader perspective. I have to say that up front. For people who are trapped in suffering, the book will certainly not be good. They should already have the attitude, how did she say it, fly outside the box with me. So when they open the book, they should be ready to open themselves to the realization, okay, there's more. One message that carried me very strongly, myself, and still does, was about my question about where Tamina was now. She said, what do you think, Mama? All the time you're asking the question, where am I now? What does it look like now? I was actually very much in the mind of wanting to know, to be able to imagine what it looks like where Tamina is. And then the answer came from her. Always you ask me where I am now. Ask yourself where I was before, before I was born. I had never thought about that question before. Before? 
I was so classically stuck in the idea that conception and birth had to do only with mommy. Me, me. In this respect, this question overwhelmed me. And then the answer was only, where I was before, that's where I am now. Through this, my conviction of a higher being has grown and become stronger. If I were now to summarize and convey a central message, what the book means to me, I would say, the word death no longer exists for me in the sense of an end. For me, it is ultimately only a going ahead to the homeland. I've said that now, haven't I? I'm just now realizing it once again. Yes, that's exactly how it is for me. It is simply going back or going ahead to the homeland. You have suffered a terrible loss. Can you see a deeper meaning in it today as well? I would say I had to have this experience. I had to experience all this. Despite this perspective, that the experience is simply part of my experience, that still remains a hard statement, of course. But I also want to express this. The great fear that I had before has become much smaller. Because I had never dealt with the subject of death, the worst idea for me was that one of my children could no longer be there. My fear is not completely gone, but much smaller. How can I still be afraid today when Tamina or the voice I heard tells me I saw something more beautiful? In the end, I go back home. These are all such precious messages. It makes me wonder, why are we so caught up in this thinking? Why do we only care about the great sorrows at a funeral? There are cultures where joy has its place in that too. I think we really need a lot more openness. I know it's a taboo to talk openly about death. But the topic connects us all. A beautiful phrase from Tamina was also, you gave me birth, you clothed me, and you will see me off. With that, she challenged me to take care of her own farewell. And yes, rightly so. Who knows more about a deceased loved one than family or friends? Maybe in our society, we should be a little more willing to deal with goodbye. Not that it's something that's constantly thought about, but we should just let that awareness that our lives are finite in this form, in matter, flow more naturally. I think that's what's missing. For me, that's also the reason why I'm sitting here today. I think that's part of the task that Tamina was talking about. Because she said when she was here as Tamina, Mom, I love listening to you talk. 
I used to do talks and seminars. She was there a lot. And then I said, girl, you've heard this before. She would say, mom, I love listening to you. And I think that's what she meant, that I go out and talk about our experiences. Earlier, we talked about whether I've ever thought about life, death, and so on. No, I haven't. But I was asked to think about it, and only about this telepathy. On a hike, I heard the voice of Tamina's higher being. Remember when I was trying to teach my friend to see what time it was on a clock? And I said, yes, I remember that. And I wondered about that incident. We all wondered, because Tamina didn't usually feel the need to teach others. She could let everyone be who they were without a second thought. And then she asked me, do you remember who taught you? I mused, yes, interesting question. It was my grandfather. I was five years old. What are you trying to tell me? To which she replied, when you were with Grandpa in the farmhouse parlor, didn't he always tell you about his son? My grandpa had two sons, one of whom was my father. I said, yes, I still remember Uncle Eugen, who was reported missing in action during the war. And then I said, what is it? Because my husband was standing behind me. He had only noticed that I was completely absorbed in my conversation, but knew nothing about the connections. And then Tamina asked me, tell that story again. So I told it aloud. My uncle Eugen was at the front in April 1945 and came back for home leave. He was only 18 and a half years old at that time, so he's still very young. He came back, and my grandfather then arranged something so that he didn't have to go to war again. He went to his son and said, here you have the certificate. I don't know what this document was called at that time, but in any case it was clear, you don't have to go to the front again. Uncle Eugen tore up the paper and said, I would be ashamed if I stayed at home because so many comrades have families and are now in the trenches. And he went off to war again. Soon a postcard arrived, the last postcard from him in France. On it was written, I heard this from my grandfather at the time. I regret my decision. I myself didn't realize what meaning the story had for me. What should I do with it? Then Tamina said, Remember, Mom, when I said I can and I am allowed to decide this time? Yes, I said. And what does that have to do with Eugen? I didn't understand the connection. And she answered, Because I was Uncle Eugen before. At that, I could no longer stand on my feet. I don't know, it was too much for me. That means you are now also convinced of reincarnation. Yes, definitely. But I probably wouldn't have been able to accept this thought from anyone if someone had told me something about reincarnation. That's always my way. I have to experience things myself and through me in order to be able to say, this is true for me. I don't question this at all anymore. You have undoubtedly experienced a lot that has changed your view of the world, broadened your vision. But back to my question, you have suffered a terrible loss. 
Do you see a deeper meaning in that too? For this I would like to quote Leo Tolstoy who said, Know the seed of your sorrow, otherwise your sorrow will remain very painful. And with this I would like to answer your question. Everything that happens to a person is for his personal development, his development and his growth. I say, that is why we are here. No matter what suffering is involved, there is always a seed in it. This seed serves personal growth. I have been able to recognize that. How have you experienced your own development resulting from all the contacts and insights? I have new perspectives. I think I have changed a lot. Before I was quite rigid in my thought structures and perhaps I also thought in black and white. Through our loss or through Tamina's departure, I have become more tolerant. Because one of her phrases was, take life playfully and dance. In the end, it's just a game and a dance. I found that very interesting. Life is a game and a dance. Today, this sentence makes me see many things more easily, more tolerantly, more calmly. Before, I had often made my life unnecessarily difficult for myself because of little things. I used to have many priorities that I no longer have to think about today. To think about the essentials again. I find the word very strong, the essential, that is the higher. I am strongly connected to that today. It has become clear to me that I can also see what I experience as a human being with a smile, that I, I take the liberty of saying this, simply no longer have to take everything so seriously. By the way, I also had this written on her tombstone. Tamina, you taught us not to take life so seriously. I think that's a very big lesson I had to learn. You yourself have experienced a very comprehensive change of perspective. Do you think that such a change would also be important for our whole society? Yes, that is also my ambition. That's what drives me. I'm convinced of it. And I'm not the only one who experiences this in the form of messages. There are so many stories where people experience their perception and their sensations. But we live in a society where this is really put in a taboo box. I myself thought for a long time that I had fantasies, pipe dreams. That can't be it. I have perhaps also been a bit shy that others think I am crazy. And we should definitely change that into naturalness. Our children should come and go with this coming and going, just as I have heard coming and going. Both sides are beautiful. After all, we came to leave. 
This is something that we all know, but we behave very unnaturally and want to reject it. I think we should be allowed to speak freely and uninhibitedly, no matter what a person perceives from his previous lives, without being judged because of it. Because every person who experiences this, it gives them a lot of strength. It is a source, a source of strength. It gives hope. And how can we, when a person feels hope and strength, evaluate that with negativity? That is a complete mystery to me. If we were to communicate with each other more in this way, then perhaps dying would not be so tainted with this great tragedy. That is what I feel today. I don't want you to think now that I'm looking forward to going, but I just know that I get to go. You know what I mean? That's a difference for me. And I also know today this can happen any time. And I don't want to say someday anymore. But if I want to experience something, then do it now, because someday may not exist. Do you still feel a relationship with Tamina today? To her higher being, yes. We also talk, but not so often anymore. Because something has come along. I now also talk to my own higher being. Because I know that I also have a higher being from which I come. In the meantime, I talk to it very much and also loudly. For example, when I go for a walk, I'm no longer afraid to talk about it. What reactions did you get after you published your book? Were they exclusively benevolent? Or were there also those who said, now she's completely taken off? The reactions were mostly great gratitude. Many people write to me and thank me for the fact that they now no longer doubt what they themselves have experienced. I think that's what I was able to convey, and that's what I want to do. And yes, of course there are comments that are not so nice. My husband was more annoyed by the not so nice ones, while I always said, look, it's like a piece of paper. Are you looking at a point on the piece of paper, or are you looking at the whole piece of paper? And I chose the whole sheet of paper rather than the one dot. There are always people who are more negative about something, but that's not important to me anymore. What is important is that I only talk about what I experience myself. That is very important to me. And I can and want to carry only the truth outward, which I carry in me, which comes only from me. I was once in Asia for a few weeks to get involved in this whole discussion, which very quickly turned out to be very difficult, because I was only alone with myself and what I heard. I missed my husband a lot. It was then that I realized how important the exchange with another person was for my healing. In the end, we always need a person who accepts us as we are. At that time, I went to a Buddhist monk who already told me about rebirth and all naturalness with a smile on his face. I just looked at him and thought, good man, what is wrong with you? I was nowhere near that point. I probably would have always doubted if I had only experienced and heard this from the outside. 
How do you face death today, different than in 2017? Completely different. Sylvia has turned around. Death is no longer a horror scenario for me. The reunion has long since begun. A separation from the higher being is absolutely impossible. Man is always connected with it. That is, this imaginary umbilical cord is always there. Life here is only something for a short time. But the higher consciousness, that has always been there and will always be there. That is what it is ultimately all about. When I heard the phrase, I am absolute love, I had the thought, always being in love? Isn't that a bit boring? And I am answered me, that's what I have you for, Sylvia. I think that sums it up. That is, man comes here to experience all that he wants to experience. However, when I listen to myself here, I find it a bit grotesque. I'm not talking about something trivial, about a broken nail. I'm sitting here talking about the insights I've gained to date, that our experiences in this material world in which we are stuck ultimately only serve a higher development. You're no longer afraid of death. To say I have no fear at all would certainly be a lie, but it has already become very small. What should I be afraid of? Miss Fink-Eisinger, thank you for your openness. Thank you for the insights into your life. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you.